From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we're glad to welcome you to Open Line Thursday here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. As you know, here on Open Line, we have a different host each and every day, Monday through Friday, to answer uh, various questions uh, from their expertise. And today is no exception because it's Thursday. We've got Father Brian Milady. How are you today, Father? Okay. How about yourselves? Doing Getting, wonderfully. We're doing great. Having nice Lent. Okay. Well, here we are. It's uh, We're almost through the first week of Lent. Hard to believe. Uh, but uh, if you've got questions about Lent or anything regarding the Catholic faith, we're here to answer those questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. We do have listeners all over the world, so if you're outside of North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, the address for that, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put in the subject line either Thursday or Father Brian to make sure that we get the right questions uh, for the answered by the right host here. So today, Father, you're going to be talking about the old law and the new law, right? Yes. You remember on Ash Wednesday, we had the Gospel according to St. Matthew, which had to do with the three great penances of the old law, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Our Lord doesn't disapprove any of these penances, but he reflects for us what the purpose of Lent is by giving them their spiritual meaning. So fasting, of course, you don't look glum. Almsgiving, you don't become ostentatious in trying to show your charity. And prayer, you should do in private. In fact, we had the gospel today or tomorrow we have the gospel about not multiplying words in prayer. Now, yes. Jesus doesn't refer there to things like the rosary. What he's referring to is the fact that the pagans thought that they had to mention every god in the whole pantheon, you know, all the Greek gods or all the Roman gods, in order to have their prayers heard. Uh, Christ doesn't emphasize that. What he emphasizes is the fact that fasting, almsgiving, and prayer are like um, the attempt uh-huh. to keep from dominating other people and to keep from dominating situations and to do these things basically out of a sign of self-serving human desire to be noticed or to be seen. And so he'll say things like, go to your room and shut the door. Well, he doesn't literally mean go to your room and shut the door. What he means is don't pray prayer ostentatiously. Or when it comes to money, 
he again doesn't literally mean that you have to give away everything. What he's emphasizing is that when you give alms, do so in secret because it's the whole business of wanting to be seen that's the problem. And then finally, we, of course, we have uh, fasting. He says, don't make your face look terrible because the purpose of fasting is a spiritual purpose to control our desire to eat and drink. And in his case, when he's tempted to do so by Satan, uh -huh. it also has to do with him doing things out of the uh, order of the will of God. Mm. So he's emphasizing to us, when you do these things, you do them according to the will of God, not, again, just to satisfy your base and appetites and inclinations. Sure. So in the New Testament, then, what we are trying to do is to plumb the depths of a right intention, which is much harder to do than just control some physical practice. It's the right intention, which is the love of God in the end, that we are interested in in the New Testament. So the difference between the Old and New Testaments is that in the Old Testament, you restrain um, the heart and the hand. Mm -hmm. But in the New Testament, you restrain the heart, the hand, and the soul okay. so that we um, think rightly and do rightly according to the love of God. We do thank you for your reflection. It is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. A couple lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian, 833-288-3986. This one came in, uh, Father, from Yasmin, who says, My husband wants me to start wearing a veil to church. We just started learning more about being Catholic I want to know what is the reasoning for the veil and why do I see so few women wearing one and only specifically older women? Any thoughts there about the veil, Father? Yeah, it actually was just dealt with by Dr. Anders, too. The fact that the Catholic idea of uh, revelation and the inerrancy of Scripture and the Protestant idea are different. Uh, they look on Scripture as a program of life that has to be followed um, literally, uh -huh. moment by moment. So it's true in the Gospels, in the Scripture, there is a an admonition for women to keep their heads covered in church. Because for one thing, Jewish women did this, and for another thing, it demonstrated the presence of God. But it doesn't say that every single person in the church has to keep their heads covered. No. Now, people did before out of respect, again, uh -huh. and out of reverence. That's what its purpose is. But now it's possible to do this in freedom so that we don't have to have our, their, our heads covered 
or women all the time. I can remember when I was a child, my mother wouldn't come into church if she didn't have a hat or oh, something. Yeah. And she'd take Kleenex. There was the famous Kleenex with the bobby pin <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep your head covered in church. Wow. So properly reverent or whatever. And, 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 and there are some women, uh, younger women, who are wearing the veil these days, but it's strictly a, a personal yes. choice, right? That's right. Okay. And its purpose is to show reverence and devotion. Yeah. There you go. All right, Yasmin, thanks so much uh, for your question. We have time enough for one more before we get to the phones. And this is a very interesting question from Whitney. Is God everywhere all at once? Yes, the presence of immensity uh, which is God being everywhere, has to do with him being at the source of all being. Mm -hmm. And so since God is the cause of all being, God is existing everywhere there is being. Now, not evil. Evil is a lack of being. Yeah. But uh, true being, yeah. Okay. And finally, this one here from William. Is it possible to ask God to forgive Satan? Well, you can ask him to forgive Satan. But remember, the problem with Satan isn't that he uh, can't be forgiven. It's the fact he doesn't want to be forgiven. Mm, yeah. The problem with Satan is he's among the highest of the creatures. And when he was created, he had a choice between self and between God. Mm -hmm. And he chose self. And that choice is uh, he, an angel has such a strong inner desire that his strong commitment to himself is not possibly changed. There have been uh, fictional texts written. This great divorce by C.S. Lewis comes to mind. Uh-huh in which someone was given a chance from hell to go to heaven. And all they could do was think about whether they were going to get to be as free as they were in hell. Mm. So it's not that God can't forgive Satan or doesn't want to forgive Satan. It's that Satan does not want to be forgiven. All right. Thank you so much for your questions. Uh, if you would like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. In a moment, we'll talk with Corporal Lee in Clarksville, Tennessee, Julianne in Fort Worth, Texas, and hopefully you as well at 833-288-3986. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. That's right, 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Jack Williams back with you. Thanks to Tom Price for sitting in for the first part of the program today. Um, the, the, uh, the year of art with Mother's uh, Catholic calendar for 2024. It's a beautiful Catholic liturgical calendar, and it showcases images of motherhood. 
Calendar pages include liturgical readings, new and traditional Catholic feast days and holy days, as well as secular holidays. All days with mass obligations are highlighted in blue, and solemnities are marked and highlighted separately in yellow. And uh, we have color-coded fishes that are featured on each uh, ob- obligatory, recommended, or formerly required days of fasting or abstinence. Everything that you need each month is marked with a church-designated devotion, and the daily mass readings from the Roman Missal are listed in each day's box. It's a one-stop shopping experience for you uh, from a Catholic perspective. This and other 2024 calendars are reduced uh, as we are into 2024 now, so it's a great time to pick them up at a reduced price. Just visit EWTNRC.com. 833-288-3986. Still some open lines for you. First up today is Corporal Lee in Clarksville, Tennessee, listening on St. Rose Radio. Corporal Lee, thanks for holding on. What's your question today for Father Milady? First of all, I want to thank you guys for taking my call. You're very and, uh, welcome. My question is that the Bible states that uh, no adulterer will get into heaven. And my question is uh, Jacob's son, Judah, up with his mother's wife's father, his mother-in-law, and he's sitting among the 24 elders in heaven. Uh, where does the Bible say no adulteress will get into heaven? I don't recall that text. I'm not I'm not for sure. Adulterers, nor, nor fornicators, or no fornicators. Or oh, that's if they're still in their sins. That's if they're still in their sins, not if they can't be that they can't be forgiven their sins. So um, that's in Saint Paul, and it's not really uh, a statement that never, ever, ever will anyone who ever committed adultery not go to heaven. It's that if you don't repent your sins, then you won't go to heaven, whatever they are. So it's not the identification of the person with a particular act that's the issue. The identification is the person who persists in the act, even though they know it's wrong. Because there are very few, Father, of our, uh, uh, our ancestors in the faith that don't have some pretty glaring check marks on their resume <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah god bless you corporal lee we appreciate the phone call today 833-288-EWTN that's our toll-free number 833-288-3986 julianne is in fort worth texas listening on the ewtn app julianne you're on with father brian Malady. hello father and, and everyone there at ewtn I have a question for you. Um, we were, um, we're going to be going to Rome, and there is a church there dedicated to the suffering souls in purgatory and how they have manifested themselves uh, in, in, on occasion uh, to make them, themselves known. Um, but uh, what I was wondering was, um, many times people prior to their death may have apparitions of loved ones coming to them. I know that my mom said that she, she said, I know it's crazy, but... In, uh, I've been talking to my mother in the mornings, and my sister, who was um, in an, uh, a coma, twice said that my dad came to her, and she said it was more real than this world is, and um, 
she had been away from the church for 50 years, and whatever it was he told her, she asked for a priest, and, you know, was, was back into the church, uh, you know, by the time that she died. Um, and, and so I was wondering, are those apparitions, are, does that indicate that those people are in heaven? Those people who are allowed to come to the, you know, to oh, the, the, um... the loved ones? Well, we can say that we're not really sure what they are or what their status is or if they even exist. I remember my mother, she kept seeing my father. So my sister said, is mom having a near-death experience? And I said, well, Jill, she's on a combination of methadone and morphine. <laughs> I have a feeling it's more about that. If such people do come, normally the Catholic Church wouldn't think that there's that kind of communication with purgatory because purgatory is a passive experience. We help them, but they can't help us. So a person who experienced that it would have to be a help from heaven in order to encourage them. But since we don't know where anybody is, even if someone's in hell, you know, we can't make any comments about that. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons it's hard to get a clear answer on that, Julianne, because I think the church hasn't said anything definitive because there's really right. no way to know anything definitive. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Julianne, I wish we had better uh, solid information for you. Okay, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I think you'll enjoy that trip to that church anyway. Don't, uh, don't. Yeah, that's the that. Bone Church, the yes. Capuchins. Yes. That's right. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great experience. It's the only thing my father wanted to see when he went to Rome. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Grab one of these open phone lines. That's what Mark did. He's a first time caller in Sioux City, Iowa. Listening on Sioux Land Catholic Radio. Mark, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hello. Um, I guess the question I've been stuck on is how can I forgive myself for all the wrongs I've committed? Oh, you. Well, first of all, you don't forgive yourself. <laughs> Christ forgives you. And because you have faith in Christ's ability to forgive, you look to him to forgive you your sins. If all the wrongs you've done are, you're fairly certain, have been forgiven by Christ, then you certainly should forgive them too. Remember, our religion is a very positive religion. We're not sitting there waiting for people to trip up and commit sins so Christ can send them to hell. It's just the opposite. We were created to go to heaven. You know, Father, sometimes I think we struggle in this area, and we've all been there. But I think a lot of it, it has to do more with thinking that perhaps somewhere back in our mind that if someone had done this to us, we would have a hard time forgiving them, and maybe that's sometimes right. why we don't forgive ourselves. Well, that, that may be true, but that's partially due to our lack of understanding of forgiveness. Um, forgiveness basically means you really move on. You leave it where it is, 
leave it where, according to what you've done your best for, and you just leave it to go on with your life, to try to do good things that you can do to replace those things that you think may have been wicked. And sometimes it's just simply making the choice to do it, right? Right. And sometimes it's excessive scrupulosity. People who are so concerned about their sins, they find sin everywhere. This was a uh, big problem with the Jansenist heresy, for instance. Uh, for the, According to the Jansenists, if in the state of justice we were in, we even had a, a movement, a feeling of uh, evil, that that was evil itself. So one of the things that kept them from frequent confession is even past sins, even sins they had contrition for, even sins that have been forgiven, they still looked upon as sins. And so they couldn't experience a salutary forgiveness. Does that help some, Mark? Oh, that helps plenty. All right, very good. Thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call, and you'll have a whole bunch of people praying for you, and that's going to help you out as well. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Steve is another first-time caller in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Steve, you're on with Father Milady. Hello, Father. Thank you for taking my call. And as I told the screener, um, I became a Catholic in 2000 through RCIA during the year of the Jubilee. And I was involved in a parish that experienced uh, some of the issues with the abuse in the church. And it kind of kicked me in the stomach. And um, I was hoping that you could help me focus on faith rather than that episode, if that's the right term. What do you mean by abuse? Well, there was a couple of the, the, the... Child abuse. We were, oh, child abuse. With the clergy or child abuse. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was a gung-ho. I still am, but I, I, I keep hearing people saying, hey, it's the faith. And I'm, I just wanted, I was listening to your show and I was hoping that you could help reinforce that for me. Yeah, well, it is the faith. But by the same token, that doesn't mean that you have to justify evil behavior on the part of members of the clergy that propagate the faith. Because members of the clergy have been called to a higher conversion. And not only that, but there's a a lot of strange stuff going on, both in the state and in the church at the moment. And so you need to focus on Christ not on the weaknesses of the members of his church. Some of you may be familiar with this story I've told because the church has often shown its dark... Well, I would, what I would say, it's the darker, darker side. Um, that when Napoleon signed a concordat or a treaty with the Vatican, um, the Pope sent this Cardo Consalvi to broker the treaty. And when Cardinal Consalvi, who was a very astute politician, 
walked in the French court. He, Napoleon wasn't yet emperor, but he was the obvious dictator. He, uh, you know, said to him, you know, you know what, Father, hold the, hold that right there. This is an important story, and I want to I want to make sure we get all of this, and we'll do that here in just a minute. So hang on the line there, Steve. We're also going to talk to Lori in Burlington, Massachusetts, and we have plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. We're talking to Steve in Spokane, Washington about uh, sometimes, even if you're a devout Catholic and you haven't lost your faith, it still is difficult to deal with some of the things that happen in the church, especially perpetrated by some of the the clergy in the church, and you had a story you were telling, Father. Yes, and Napoleon, 200 years ago, signed his treaty with the Vatican. The Pope sent this Cardinal Consalvi to broker the treaty, and when Cardinal Consalvi walked into the French court, Napoleon said to him, you know your eminence, even though I'm signing this treaty with the Vatican, I still have the power to destroy the Catholic Church because I'm the most powerful person on earth. And the Cardinal said, well, it's an idea, but if the bishops and priests haven't been able to do it for 2,000 years, you don't stand a chance. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, this is something that has always uh, been there? And it's, oh, yeah. we're not the first generation that's had to rise above it, huh? Oh, no. When you consider all the strange things in the clergy in Europe, uh, in courts and things like that, uh, I remember another story that when Thomas Becket was canonized, they sent the papal legate to uh, England. And both the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York claimed to be the primate of England. So the custom was whoever sat on the right hand of the nuncio was the papal legate. So immediately the Archbishop of Canterbury rushed up and sat on his right, and then the Archbishop of York sat on his lap. (laughs) Uh, now, the clergy, you, you can't judge the church by the clergy. Uh, and that's one of the things we need to learn. The clergy are often characterized by people who are not all they should be. I personally would say that when I found someone who's all they should be, it's been such a wonderful thing that I say, see, this is it. This is why we're here. And it gives me courage. But you must take courage from our Lord and not pay attention to the weaknesses of his church. Does that help some, Steve? It it does, and thank you. And I guess I want to close by saying it's always Christ's church, correct? No matter what. Absolutely, absolutely. The Pope is the vicar of Christ, remember, on earth. 
and the cardinals are all like that. But Christ is the head of the church. God bless you, Steve. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've still got time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Lori's another first-time caller in Burlington, Massachusetts, listening on the Amazon Echo. Lori, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, Father Milady. Um, nice to talk to you. Nice have to a... talk to you. <laughs> Thanks. I have a quick question. Um, my sister has part-time home and her husband down in Lakewood Ranch, Florida, and um, that church has seven masses on the weekend, and they're all so crowded. So they changed their one Saturday night vigil from 4 p.m., um, and they split it into two masses. One is at 3 p.m. and one is at 5 p.m. Now, every sacramental wedding I've been to over the years that started either 3 or even 3.30 have not counted for mass for Sunday. Um so I'm just wondering about this 3 o'clock uh, Saturday vigil time. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, uh, that's a difficult question. I would say that whatever the custom of the diocese is, uh, up to a certain boundary, is um, places it under the obligation. Um, I remember... Uh, a number of years ago, I was in a parish in Palm Desert, and they had so many people that they started the obligation at 3 o'clock, which is a bit soon, in my opinion. It's not really a vigil time, but it all comes from the idea of the Sabbath vigil. In you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, where they have to start the Sabbath before sundown, well, occasionally we have Mass at various times. Even on Easter, for example, the Vigil. Many of us don't do the Vigil anymore because we can't. We're too old or something like that. So I wouldn't worry about it if the pastor isn't worried about it. God bless you, Lori. Thanks so much for the call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Francisco's in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on the iHeartRadio app. Francisco, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Milady. Hello, Father. How are you? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic. Um from uh, New Mexico, Albuquerque. I don't know if you've ever been here. It's Many like times. Mexico. Many yes, we're times. Part of, we're, we're part of the United States, by the way. Yes, what's your question? <laughs> so um, I, I, uh, I'm a retired uh, uh, vet, 80% uh, disabled. Um, the VA has me prescribed on multiple medicines. Um, I know that's okay because it's, it's medical. Uh just to throw it out there, I'm on lithium, I'm on Prozac, um, gabapentin, um, multiple uh, uh, artisanal. So what's your question? What I, my question. So I, to kind of help me with my with those side effects, I do smoke pot um, and have the occasional beer. I don't drink a whole lot, but are those considered sins that I need to be confessing, or is that? Um, is that okay? Well, I don't think the beer is, but I, because many countries for centuries drank nothing but beer. 
but I think the pot may be because it can be very mind altering. You know, I live in Portland at the moment and within a five block radius of where I live, there's five pot shops. And uh, as you know, they made all drugs legal in Oregon for a while, but they discovered it produced side effects that were just too difficult. You know, people who didn't make judgments correctly in cars and that sort of thing. So I, I don't think the pot thing is a good idea. Thanks, Francisco. We uh, appreciate it, and thank you so much for your service, and uh, I hope that you um, that the medication gives you the relief that you need from everything that you've been through on our behalf, and we certainly appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. Anna is watching us on YouTube, Father, and she wants to know, what does it mean to come to God empty-handed? Is it a humility thing? Oh, coming to God empty-handed basically means you have no selfish conditions. So at the beginning of the program, I was talking about fasting, almsgiving, and prayer done for ostentatious purposes or done outside the domain of the will of God, that sort of thing. That's why you go to your room in secret to pray so that you won't be seen by men it's not that we're condemning repetitious prayer or prayer that is um, the kind where you constantly want want something. But it's the idea that prayer is primarily a gift in which you experience God for who he is. And that's what we're asked to do in the New Testament. And that's what it means to have a right intention in your prayers or in your penances, namely the intention of loving God. And it's something that we have a tendency to neglect because of lust. And lust there, I mean the desire to dominate other people. We use um, penances to dominate other people. Be sure to check out The Miracle Hunter Saturday at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Michael O'Neill interviews Eustace Wolfington, who is the executive producer of a new of the new film Cabrini. And Eustace 91 years old and sharp as a tack. Uh, plus, he'll talk to James Valoy, who joins him to talk about Our Lady's Prophecies. That's The Miracle Hunter Saturday, 1 and 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Radio. Some wide open phone lines for you here on a Thursday, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Um, Henry, this is a good question for a disciple of St. Thomas Aquinas. Henrietta would like to know, how do we justify calling God the unmoved mover or the uncaused cause? How do we justify it? Uh, it he is. <laughs> Because since God has no potency in him, he's pure act. And since he's pure act, that means he imparts the motion to the world because he gives it being, not the other way around. So he's uncaused because there is no one who 
as being like this except him. And he is unmoved because there's no potency in him to be something that he's not. Kate wants to know how she determines if something is coincidence or providential. Uh, well, there really, <laughs> um, there's no real answer to that. Um, sometimes it's providential, sometimes it's coincidence. You'd have to know by examining the context and by what it is that is involved. Um, Kevin writes in, if your parents ask you to do something wrong or immoral, must you still honor them as the commandment says? Well, you have to honor them, but you don't have to obey them. The obedience to a parent is based on what he commands as being according to the truth. And no one has a right to command another. It doesn't matter whether they're the head of the country or the head of the family. Uh, against the moral law. So if something is commanded, so the moral law, you still have to respect that person as a person and as your parent and that kind of thing, and perhaps even love them, but you don't have to do what they tell you to do. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Um, Lucy wants to know what the Catholic Church's stance on modern prophets is. Do they exist, and how do we discern if they're legitimate? I assume by modern prophets, you mean the prophets that are not the prophets in Scripture, but give a, a further explanation to them. If you mean by that private revelation then it depends, first of all, on whether it corresponds to the prophecies present in Scripture. If it doesn't correspond to that, we pay them no credence whatsoever. There are examples of private revelations that the Church has approved in the sense that it said there's nothing contrary to these prophets in them, but not in the sense that it says you must believe in these things. To not believe in a scriptural prophecy is a heresy. To not believe in a prophecy that comes from a private revelation is not a heresy. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. So Kathy writes in, would you judge it to be gossiping for someone to share among family members some situations going on with relatives? For example, a cousin or nephew going to jail or getting divorced or an out-of-wedlock pregnancy or cohabitating situation, etc. Would that be considered slander or revealing faults, even if it's within family relationships? Uh, I think it would be. Because it also has detraction as a part of it and other things. The, uh, not all sharing, obviously, in families would be considered gossip. But something which is of a major crime or something like that, that would be. And Jordan says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
What does that mean exactly? How could we possibly do that? Well, someone asked me this last night because I talked to them about grace. Mm. And they find it unbelievable that by grace they become a participant in God's own nature. That they have a whole different um, center of life than they would without grace. And that center of life is basically that there are supernatural uh, activities which help them to know as God knows and love as God loves. So, in respect to um, being perfected, as our Heavenly Father is perfected, that's the better translation. In other words, I learn to know as God knows and love as God loves. So they're actually, I'm a part of the Trinity in the sense of my knowledge and my love. Not, of course, that I become a part of the Trinity. However, in order that I be like the Trinity, that means that I have to have a special gift added to my being that elevates me and gives me the ability to do that. And that's God's gift to give, and that's God's life to have. Next up is Michael. He is in Greenleaf, Colorado, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Michael, thanks for calling. You're on with Father Milady. Yes, hello, Father. Uh, hello, Father. Yeah, go right ahead, Michael. Hi. Yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, I have a question about the transfiguration. Uh, when uh, Jesus uh, went on the hill with uh, Peter, James, and John, and he turned a dazzling white, and then Moses and Elijah showed up. I was wondering, uh, how could they be there if Jesus' redemptive work had not opened the gates of heaven as of yet, and that the people who had lived before that time were still in the uh, state of sleep, so to speak? Yes. Uh, they're there in apparition. And the purpose of the apparitions, all of them, are to give witness to Christ as the second person of the Trinity and made man. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit and the Father are also there in reality. But Moses and Elijah appear with him, it says, which means to say that they, uh, you can see and experience them but they're more apparitions from another point of view. Also, um, they're discussing normally the passion. And this discussion obviously can't occur before the passion occurs. And also what they're doing again is giving witness to the fact that the passion is the means by which we accomplish the um, salvation in Christ. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We can still squeeze in a couple phone calls at 833-288-3986. Uh, Chuck writes in, How do you resolve the incongruity between some of the acts of the magisterium and clergy and the truth of Catholicism? And we kind of touched on this earlier. Yes, um, I can't resolve that. 
Um, all this is matter for people in authority, number one. And number two, the people are not always acting rightly. And number three, you always have to remember that church documents are defined according to the common understanding of history of them. So they couldn't define that there would be six sacraments, for instance. They have to somehow discover how if they added a sacrament or subtracted a sacrament, there could be these extra sacraments. But I don't have the answer as to seeming contradictions in this. Um, and Jim wants to know, uh, with the recent uh, um, controversy over frozen embryos from in vitro fertilization efforts, Jim wants to know what should be done at this point with those frozen embryos. You know, that's an insoluble problem because you can't implant them because that's, you know, actually in vitro giving birth. You know, on the other hand, you can't kill them because that's abortion. So I would say that the people that made this situation made it indissoluble. You, you, it's puzzling. You can't. There's no answer at the moment. Uh, next stop for us is Cincinnati, Ohio. Patrick is in the Queen City listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Patrick, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thanks, Father, for taking my call. I was hey. wondering if you might be able to I was wondering if you might be able to give uh some some other books uh that are approved by the Catholic Church that uh Catholics can read that are outside of Scripture, for instance, like the Proto-Evangelium of, of James, or I didn't know if the Gospel of Enoch or the Book of Enoch would also be approved, things like that that we could also read. No. <laughs> uh, there are parts of the Proto-Evangelium of St. James that are approved, like the part that has to do with the presentation of Mary in the temple. The, to my knowledge, Enoch is not approved, except things like Oh, maybe Wu is a historical figure and who isn't. But uh, no, they're not part of the canon. Uh, Ted writes in, he said, I came to the Catholic faith through reason. How do I find the joyful heart connection and faith in Jesus that so many Protestants seem to have? Intellectually, I'm convinced of the truth of the Catholic faith, but my heart is just not there. The problem of the Protestants is that it's all heart. In other words, for them, everything is emotion. It's emotion because it's confidence in Christ as a Redeemer. But how, what's behind that consciousness is never really stated. Is it real? Is it not real? Uh, what's its problem? Now, in the 19th century, Protestants had a tendency to underline only piety, which was feeling. As long as you created feelings of philanthropy and dependence on the universe, it didn't matter what you believed about it. 
Uh, well, we don't believe that. What you think about it has to do with creating, or better to say, experiencing the heart and the soul. So you have to, what you need to do is to examine our teachings not as cold, abstract theology papers, but as about a person. And the more you can do this about a person, the more you experience of Christ in his personal meaning, and therefore the more loving you should become. Uh, Judy called in, Father, but she didn't want to go on the air. But her question was that her priest on this past Sunday uh, said that Noah's Ark was a fable. And she wants to know, how do I know which stories in the Bible are true? Normally, you can interpret it as worthy of certainty that most of the stories in the Old Testament are true, or at least have something true about them. So in the case of Noah... You have this flood. Obviously, the person is um, expresses their faith through how they relate to the flood. But when they put foot on dry ground, they offer sacrifice and they experience peace. Now, all those things are true, but they're true in a religious sense. They truly reflect God and the way he acts with us. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. We're back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, I hope you have a great evening, and God bless.